Hey everybody, welcome to our PYF uh, A Million and Me podcast. Today our guest is our very own Peter Barnett, CBE. First of all, congratulations. Peter's been with, uh, he's head of uh, libraries and migration um, at Coventry City Council since 2003. Uh, before that, Peter was the manager of the health and development team. And since 2014, um, Coventry City Council is one of the first local authorities to support the refugee crisis in the Middle East. And since then, have housed and supported over 850 families um, in, in residing in Coventry. In 2020, he was rewarded a CBE at the Queen's birthday. What we wanted to ask you, because you've been involved in this programme for a very long time and probably the leading local authority when it comes to migration, and that's our honest opinion, we've, we've spoken about it a, a number of different times. What makes Coventry a city of sanctuary? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to join you today. It's a real uh, pleasure to be here and to, to support the Million and Me project. Um, I think Coventry is a, a very unique place and obviously I'm lucky enough to meet with colleagues who work with in other local authorities and face the same kind of challenges that I face in managing you know, refugee programmes. And I think, you know, the, the approach that we take is in Coventry is rooted in the city's history and the, and the city's, you know, traditional role in, you know, welcoming people uh, over a considerable number of years. Uh, whether that be, you know, before and during the Second World War, but also, you know, throughout the 20th century. And that and that means that, you know, the mindset in Coventry when I'm talking to other professionals is far more accepting of, um, of the work that we do. And, and we start from a position where we, you know, we really feel as if, you know, we have a a responsibility to do what we can to support some of the challenges that, that we see around the world and some of the people who are displaced by conflict and so on. And we think about, you know, what can we do? What what, what are the different things that we can do to try and make um, the problem better or, 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 to, or to help people? Uh, thank you for that, Peter. Um, so just for our audience, we'd like for you to introduce yourself a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved in the work that you do around migration? That's an interesting question. Um, I've worked for the City Council since 2003 um, and had a, had a number of different roles. Um, but uh, in 2013, obviously the situation in the Middle East became um, very uh, prevalent in, 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 in the news media and, uh, and people in Coventry were, were, were thinking to themselves, you know, what, what, what could we do to help alleviate some of the human suffering that we were seeing from the conflict in Syria? Um, the government at the time decided to make the opportunity for, you know, a small number of Syrian people to um, be allowed to come to the UK uh, and ask for uh, volunteers. As Abayad said in his introduction, Coventry was one of the very first authorities to put its hand up and say, you know, we're interested in exploring what we can do and particularly what we can do well. Um, so I volunteered for a, a short project that was intended to take uh, kind of 12 months, maybe 18 months at the most, where we would, where we'd bring 50 Syrian people um, from Lebanon or Jordan and help them to set up a new life in Coventry. Um, and then as events unfolded, we had, our first people arrived in July 2014. Um, but then, obviously, in, in the summer of 2015, there was just the 
awful scenes of you know children washed up on beaches in on greek islands and you know the real awful situation of uh, people being de so desperate to flee the fighting and the and the and the awful situation that they found themselves in and and from that we've you know we've built a with with, with a range of key partners in the city we we built a refugee resettlement program that we i think justifiably all are proud of um and, and, and part of, again, part of how we work now is that we bring small numbers of people, but very um, people who re really do need our support, bring them to the city and help them to start a new life here. Pe people might, might be aware that, you know, local authorities went through a lot of change in the in the early kind of 2010s. There was a lot of um, decommissioning of services. So the council had had previously a, a group of staff who would have been much more familiar with uh, working with newly arrived communities, but in, in kind of public sector austerity, those teams were all de decommissioned. We, we previously had community cohesion grant and various different funding streams from government, which were all cut back. And so when, when we were having this discussion about whether Coventry would, you know, fulfill its uh, role as a, as a, as a city of peace and reconciliation, it was, you know, that I, I was in a meeting where, we were talking about this and and my manager at the time said you know need somebody to put their hand up and say they'll kind of coordinate this and i said you know i said i was interested and thought it would be a good thing to do um and, and as it happened you know really proud of the different work that we've done not not just the council but all the different partners who who um contribute towards uh, supporting people when they come to the city now we are here eight years on yeah. What what you thought would be a year long program is now yeah, yeah. still here eight years yeah, on. Yeah, as I had said, eight hundred and fifty odd people moved to Coventry to make Coventry their new home. We've learnt a lot over that over that period of time. Um, you know, where we can, we work with others to try and share what, what we've learnt with them. We kind of started out with the best of intentions, you know, and, but but not with a great deal of knowledge. But you know, we've learnt a lot as we've gone along. Yeah. Peter, ahead of this podcast, we were doing some research and we reached out to UNHCR and IOM and we asked some questions and they kind of gave us a bit of background of how they identify families mm. for resettlement, etc. What is it like from a local authority perspective? Like, do, do the Home Office contact you and say, yes. here's a book or here's a piece of paper with families on there? And could you could you just explain that for the audience? Yeah, of course. Um, so what happens is, as I say, we, we kind of have an idea in our minds of how many families we can take what, what level of housing we can provide, um, you know, whether we've got school places, all those different things that we need. We've got an idea of what that capacity is. And then um, UNHCR are key uh, uh, that they uh, compile kind of, um, they compile applications with the relevant information about different families who've been forced to flee their home country. Um, so, for example, people will often find themselves in a second country, Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Iraq, Egypt, um, and they will go to UNHCR for some help. And UNHCR will make the judgment as to whether or not help can be provided in country or whether actually a resettlement to a third country is appropriate. And then the Home Office will consider those cases and will decide whether um, the, the, the UK can accept families on, on our resettlement programmes. And then they literally offer us the, they'll say, here's six or seven families. Can you, can you accept these families into Coventry's um, support? And we, we look at 
whether we can provide housing, whether we can uh, find school places for the children, whether we think appropriate health care is available. And our presumption is that we will accept the families that are offered to us unless there is something that couldn't be provided in Coventry. And the, the most common reason why we're not able to take a family that's offered to us is if specialist health care wasn't available locally. And there we might say to the Home Office, they're actually a, moving, to a, moving a family to a city where you know, that a particular specialism was, was, was available would, would be in that family's interest rather than somebody having to travel a lot when, when they come here. Um, and we, we have, we, previous, before COVID, we would have had kind of quarterly arrivals. So we would have kind of six to eight families um, be identified as a kind of uh, gr group of families who would arrive in, in each quarter. And then we prepare property for them, um, furnish the property we would um literally go and pick them up from the airport register them with doctor help the children into a school place or college place help people to learn to speak english give them a tour of the city all those different things that we hope to give people a start in building a new life in the city amazing that actually brings us to our next question yeah. which was so i'm going to ask the question so you can elaborate on that okay um so could you tell us a little bit more about what a day in the life of peter barnett looks like in the preparation for an arrival of a new family i know you've mentioned a little bit but what does that day actually look like well in in an ideal world we would hope that everything would run very smoothly and so you know i've, got, I've, had, a, I've had a lot of experience of going to the airport and families arriving on the on the schedule that they were supposed to arrive on bringing them back to the city welcoming them and putting people into their homes and everything being fine so we've had lots of experience of that but we've also had some experience of you know that there, there are always there are often time to time bumps in the road and so in the run-up to arrivals, there is always a, a sense of what, what might happen. So we'll be you know, going through what the arrangements are to pick people up. Are the properties all, we got keys, is, are the properties all equipped in the way that we want them to be equipped? Um, have we got the right you know, program of support lined up for after the families will arrive? So there'll be a range of things to focus on both during the arrival and, and immediately after the arrival takes place. The more of an assured and um, calm experience we can provide people when they very first arrive, the, the better really, because we know that people who do come to Coventry on the refugee resettlement programme have had very difficult experiences, both in terms of having to flee from their home country, whether that be Syria, Afghanistan, wherever it might be. But then often when they're in their second country, um, they're living a very fragile existence, sometimes with insecure immigration status, sometimes struggling whether people can access work if indeed they're well enough to be able to access work. So we have cases where we know young people have had to go and work to help the collective family to put food on the table. Um, but many instances where you know pe people have been discriminated against because of the fact that they're not of the host community where they've been living. And sometimes, you know, people can have kind of spent two or three years in a in a second country and had very difficult experiences so so when people come to Coventry we want to focus on big smiles welcome to the city 
create a sense of calm so that people can feel as if that's the foundation for them, you know, building a new life in the city and, and, and a fresh start away from the, you know, the trauma and the anxiety that they will have had before they arrive in the city. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's so heartwarming that like you, you obviously know that about like the, the trauma and the history. Like you mentioned, you mentioned about the second country, um, but not many people are aware of, of these things and don't take these factors into consideration when something potentially sometimes does go wrong here in the UK. Well, I remember we had one very famous um, instance where the Home Office was starting to work. And so we all go up on a, on, a, on a bus to pick our refugees up from Newcastle at like five o'clock in the morning. And we get to Newcastle Airport. Um, and then the first of a, of a couple of kind of calamitous events occurred. One was that the flight was going to be four hours late. So I'm looking forward to spending four hours in Newcastle Airport, wondering what to do. Um, and the second was that the A1 was, was going to be closed southbound. And, oh. and the delay meant that um, we, our journey back was going to be a lot more um, difficult than we'd expected it to be. And I will never forget one of our, one of our clients who I still see from time to time in the city. We're on the bus back at, you know, 10 o'clock at night in this traffic jam and I'm apologizing profusely to everybody about how um, you know how sorry we are that, that you know this is going to take them a while to get home one of the men spoke to me he said um, he said Mr Peter Mr Peter he said I've, I've just spent like three years in Lebanon with you know all the family living in one room um, the children going to work in the market every day so that we could have, have food for my daughter who wasn't very well. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the UK now. Wow. I know I'm safe. He said, don't worry about, don't worry about the, the, the bus wow. journey. Um, so as I say, that doesn't mean notwithstanding that, that yeah. we don't want that, that arrival process to go smoothly and people to feel as if we're, uh, you know, got their, got, got them covered for the, for the new life that they're going to start. Why do you think it's so important to have these kind of programs tailored and they're ready to support them? They're part of our future and we want them to feel that, um, you know, we want them to feel that the, uh, we've, we've taken their situation seriously and that the, the welcome that we offer them is genuine. We, we've done some um, mapping recently and well, not just recently, over the last few years, through you know the commissioned work that you've uh, allowed us to do and which has been amazing and we've met different local authorities and different partners that do work on resettlement it seems like we're the only local authority and, and the only organization that are doing there's a bespoke program for young people and i don't know if that's the case or not factually i think it is because we went to an, um, a home office event in london and everyone was like no we've never heard of a bespoke program how important do you think it is peter and where did that come from I think it's very important, and much as I said uh, earlier in the in the conversation, um, I don't think we got everything right when we started eight years ago. We perhaps weren't meeting the needs of uh, of young people as as well as we might do, and that was when we reached out to Positive Youth Foundation with a view to having a conversation about what the art of the possible was. And again, I'm sure you'll 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 agree that uh, you know we what we do now with you guys is very different to what we did when when we very first started. Yeah. And that again, we want to con constantly be thinking about what's the what's the experience of young people as we provide support for them. What's going well? What can we improve on? You know, particularly children who arrive in secondary age group have have, have missed yeah. the key chunks of their education, and we're we're constantly play, playing catch up. And and of course, we want 
children to be able to you know record achievements and to and to and to get the most of their education but we also want them to be children and children young people, and, people and, yeah. and and live enjoyable lives as well and again that's where i'm very happy that we've got the balance between you know helping people um to learn and to and to, and, and to do things that are developing them but also to have fun and yeah and and to have and to have got out of some of the very um you know difficult circumstances that they would have been in before they come to the city uh, and those difficult circumstances you you mentioned peter how much of that information is is passed over to yourself before before families arrive i ask that because we through youth work it takes us years to build that relationship and then we find we we find out things from young people two three years into the program um of things that they suffered that they initially wouldn't speak about mm. and now they've approached us saying they want support around issues that have happened previously historically in second country or first country even so how much information is given or not all of it but a big chunk of the information we get is seen through the through the experiences of the what's what you would think of as the kind of leader of the family so whether that's the the, the dad or mom of the family depending on the circumstances but a lot of the information is relates to that to the adults and then i would say exceptionally we do get information about uh, some of the um some aspects of what young people have have experienced i would say there is there is a, there is a bit of a gap in terms of of what we get to do with the children we get good information about their physical health but not such a lot about their mental health obviously when we're working with families who've come from the middle east there are there are big differences in yeah. how we approach things like mental health and how 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 acceptable it is to talk about um mental health issues um for some of those families and and and, and by no means all and uh, you know we're talking broad brush here young people in particular are very resilient and we we're constantly amazed at how resilient young people are in terms of the the things that they're able to go through and and still come out the other side um but but people react to things and and display the effects of things at different times and in different ways don't they and so again for us to have a kind of person centered program that focuses on young people that's not all about the family and all about um all about what the family is being yeah. through i think we're able to learn a lot more from the insights that you guys are able to to give than than we're ever likely to get from the from the paperwork that comes through the official processes i think that's exactly what we're trying to achieve through this uh, audio video cast podcast series we've identified that there are some gaps and the best place people to probably identify these gaps and learn and know and have knowledge about these gaps is us as the youth service provider for the resettlement program so peter we're just asking um for the purpose of this podcast and why we're trying to achieve is is trying to get opinions from professionals such as yourself uh, whether you think the youth work element of what we do with newly arrived young people supports their integration supports their mental health i know you're a strong believer of and you know we're very thankful for that but do you see the differences that that's taking place definitely and um i i think it's really important that we have um the opportunity to look at all the different participants on our program and what their particular needs are and the, and there's a very clear need for young people to have a bespoke program that 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 supports them in you know acclimatizing to the new environment of Coventry 
with that with that specialist support that you're able to give and of course the we're, we're interested in people getting um the opportunity to do different things and to learn but we also want people to meet other young people in coventry obviously people can do that to an extent in school when they're placed in different places but i think what we really appreciate is the opportunities that our participants get to you know mix with a much wider group of young people in the city and to go you know a little bit further and you know develop those relationships and um and and friendships that we know are key to you know people pe people having a you know your good health and well-being so we're we're very interested in that um and 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 all of those things will contribute to you know the young people you know catching up in some small way from from the things that they've missed out on with with newly arrived young people in their communities, sometimes the topic of mental health is quite taboo. Mm. And why is it important for services like ourselves and other services that are working with newly arrived young people um, to, to, encourage. To, to encourage them to speak about their mental health? Yes, I I mean I, I think you're right. It is very very important that we do provide the opportunity to have discussions like that with people. Different people at different times will start to try and come to terms with the experiences that they've had, traumatic experiences in particular. And so again, you know, it is important that we talk to families about giving them the confidence to um, explore things like that and and explore when. You know, when, when, when people are feeling upset and, uh, and, and feeling, um, you know, distressed about uh, coming to terms with what's happened to them. So I absolutely agree. At the same time, I also think it's also really important that we get on and do things with the young people in the yeah. way that you do. And we don't always have to say this is part of our mental yeah. health yeah. pathway that's, that's designed to get you, yeah. you know, into tip-top mental health. Because actually, until people become acclimatised and yeah. become used to the way we work here and what life is like here, that, that might be off-putting to some people. Yeah. But, that, but that doesn't mean particularly participative events that do involve people having fun shouldn't be thought of in the lens of contributing towards that agenda. I think it's really important that you said that. I think it's about finding that balance. Um, yes. Yeah, and yes. for families and newly arrived young people to know that we are readily available and we understand that there's triggers and we understand mm. that they, they might have mental health needs. And when they do need to speak to us about it, mm. we're here for them should the need arise. Spot on. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Not everyone's put into one category and, and trying to better understand. Yeah. I think that's really key. Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, we've got children who've experienced directly violence, um, whether that be, you know, explosions, houses being damaged, or, you know, to very extreme cases, you know, family members being um being shot and killed in their in their very presence. And and as I say, when when you meet people, like we go to meet people at the airport or when we when the people will go to them on their first school day, um the, the people will present with everything's fine yeah and and we'll have a kind of um wanting to kind of you know be, be accepted in the in the circumstances that they're in and and again we would all we would all largely do the same wouldn't we yeah. but 
having a bit of knowledge about you know what people have been through can can be helpful in yeah. in just thinking about the context of how we do help people you know if and uh, and when um they do present with with some of the signs of of trauma and again in country we we're really lucky to have nhs colleagues who've um understood some of the gaps that we had i think we're with the with the numbers of people that are in the city and the different um turmoil that's going on in the world you know, capacity is an issue and we do want to, you know, have a, have a discussion. There's a discussion ongoing at the moment between the council and local NHS leaders about what capacity is available in the city to support, you know, both adults and children and young people to, um, to, to support their, their journeys here. Um, but again, that just reinforces where we started, which is that, you know, in Coventry, we're really lucky to have partners who really um, place a high priority on the, on, on what services are available for people who come from, you know, newly arrived communities. And, um, and, and it is part of the discussion that's going on about citywide priorities. For other partners or anyone else or organisations like ourselves that are working with newly arrived communities or young people, what advice or what words of wisdom could you like share with your experience? Just to close. Um, I think... I think providing we're starting from a place where, you know, we've got an open heart, a, a sense of welcome um, and, um, and, and and a willingness to accept people, um, you know, as uh, as I said earlier, as kind of new Coventrians or as, as, as part of our community, then we don't need to be frightened or or try and wrap people in cotton wool. You know, the people that we, we do work with often have, been through very um, traumatic and difficult experiences and have a sense of resilience um, but they do need a place of safety they do need an opportunity and support to rebuild their lives and you know if you have a genuine dialogue with people and look to you know li listen to what they've got to say listen to their fears and concerns and so on then um, it, it, it's a it's a it's a very positive experience, and um, you know we are very lucky in Coventry that you know the future for us, you know we will have some really amazing people who will be part of the city and will go on to make a really positive contribution to the city, and that that's as a result of some of the the work that we do together. Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you so much.